0: Well, it's great to be starting our series on Mark's Gospel today. And uh, whilst I've been preparing this, I've been focusing on just thinking about promises. And as I'm sure you're aware, it's Father's Day today. And I started to reflect back on promises uh, that my dad used to make to me when I was younger. And I realised something. Actually, my dad always kept his promises, which is quite admirable. Um, And it's something that I think I've taken uh, to do myself with my own children. I'm very keen to make sure that if I promise something to them, that I deliver on the promise uh, so, f- for example, they'll ask me for something, and if I know I can't promise it to them, I'll say, well, well, maybe, or perhaps, or well, let's just see. But if I know that I can promise and deliver it, actually what I end up doing is saying, well, I promise that we'll do this or we'll do that tomorrow. Promises are really, really important things. I think that, that really sad phrase, you know, promises are there to be broken, just says a lot about how we feel about promises. Promises get broken often. Um, but in my heart, to want to demonstrate something to my children about promises being kept... It's actually wanting to demonstrate something about the heart of God. You see, God is a promise keeper. We sing that line in that song Waymaker, God is a promise keeper. Um, and, uh, but for many of us, I'm aware that actually Father's Day is a day when we reflect on maybe not having a great dad or maybe not even having a dad at all. Maybe we've grown up in an environment where promises were never kept. Maybe actually we've grown up in an environment where uh, the, the promises uh, made to us were never delivered upon. And I think actually as we turn to the Bible and as we reflect on the promises of God, we must take away our, our mindset of human fathers and we need to focus again on, on God who is the best father there possibly could be, the one who always keeps his promises. And Mark's Gospel is a book that demonstrates that God keeps his promises. And so that one, you know, that's not the reason why we're looking for it, but it's definitely a reason to read it. We can see that God keeps his promises as we read through Mark's Gospel together. Let me just, before I carry on this train of thought about about promises, let me just give you a little bit of a background to Mark's Gospel, which is where we're going to be now until September, and we're going to work through it chronologically. So it would help if I gave a little bit of background to that before I move on. So Mark's Gospel was, uh, I I think personally, was probably written by a a friend of Peter's, a disciple of Peter's. You can read about it in 1 Peter 5. uh, Peter talks about uh, my son Mark, which will most likely be a reference to one of his disciples or followers. So Mark writes this gospel down, and actually, when you look at Peter's own teaching of the gospel in Acts 2 or in Acts 10, what you'll see is that the chronolog- chronolog- chronology can even say word, the word—the chronology of uh, Peter's understanding of the life of Jesus fits very closely to the gospel of Mark. And so, uh, some scholars think that Peter had a hand in writing the gospel of Mark down. Mark's Gospel is also uh, most likely to have been the first Gospel that was written down. It is the shortest Gospel, and when you read Luke and Matthew, you will see that there's a lot of textual links between Matthew and Luke's Gospel and Mark's, leading uh, some people, including myself, to believe that actually Mark was the basis for those other synoptic Gospels. So Mark's Gospel is really, really important. It's also important because, unlike the other Gospels, it doesn't try and get into heavy theology. What it does is it just gives us a narrative picture of the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's a great place for us to be focused on. It's a great place for us to look at what the gospel is and what the gospel is about as we encounter the narrative stories of Jesus and it, him encountering other people around Galilee and Jerusalem. So that's why we're looking at Mark and that's why we're looking at Mark's gospel. But if I then go back to talk about promises and what, what, uh, what Mark was uh, uh, writing about, look, actually in Mark 1, which is where we're going to be focused on today, What we see in Mark 1 is that actually the first words of Jesus are about fulfilment of promise. Let me just read you the two verses that I'm going to focus on today. So these two verses, they they say this. It's verse 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the first words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark Are the time is fulfilled. The first words are about promise being fulfilled. The the, the, the rest of the introduction to Mark actually forms a prologue. So uh, verses uh, 1 through to uh, 13 actually form like a prologue to it. And we get the story of John the Baptist, we get Jesus' journey into the wilderness, the temptation from Satan, and we get Jesus' baptism. And those stories form a prologue to this moment when Jesus starts his ministry. And as we read here, Jesus has gone to Galilee. And so John is di- uh, sorry, Mark is divided into three sections. We have the first section where Jesus is in Galilee. We have the second section where he travels to Jerusalem. And the third section, which leads up to the events surrounding his death and resurrection. So the time is fulfilled. Jesus says, look, the time is fulfilled. What is, what's he talking about here? Well, as I kind of said in my devotional video this week, actually Jesus is uh, pointing backwards to something that was uh, anticipated in the Old Testament. There was a growing sense of anticipation surrounding Jesus and surrounding the fact that there was going to be somebody who was going to turn up to free the Israelites from the captivity of other nations' rule over them. You see, for a long period of time, actually, the Israelites hadn't been in control of their own territory. The, the, the situation was actually the best it had been in a long time under, under the, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire allowed the Jews to be relatively self-governing. They had Herod as their king, but yet they, effectively they were what's known as a vassal state. They were dependent on Rome for uh, laws being passed. They couldn't do anything outside of Rome's control. And so for hundreds of years, leading up to this point in time, actually, the Jewish people had been waiting to be, uh, for a king to arrive. A king who was going to liberate them from the rule of the other nations around them. A king who was going to re-establish Israel as a nation uh, in the region. They were waiting for this moment. And in fact, actually, when you go forward past the New Testament and look to AD 66 and the, 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 the revolt in Jerusalem, actually, you see, there was a political climate happening at the time of Jesus. There was a waiting and an anticipation that Messiah was going to arrive. But they were expecting an earthly ruler. They were were expecting somebody who was going to come in by force and bring their nation back, who was going to rule with justice like David, yes, but who was going to be an earthly king. They were not expecting a carpenter's son to turn up. They were not expecting a carpenter's son to turn up and say, look, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Because basically what he's saying is, here I am. I'm the one, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Even in that statement, he's pointing to himself as the person that they've been waiting for. It is no wonder then, as I go on to say later on, that they end up rejecting him. You see, Jesus didn't come to establish the kingdom of Israel. He came to establish the kingdom of God. He didn't come to mend the brokenness in Israel's kind of political system. He came to mend the brokenness in human hearts. He came to mend the brokenness between humans and gods. You look back at Old Testament prophecy after the event, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. So, you know, at the time, you can kind of understand why the Israelites didn't really see Jesus as the Messiah because because of what they were expecting. But when you look back on Old Testament prophecy, from the point of view of knowing that it's fulfilled in Jesus, what you see is it's so clear that it's going to be somebody like Jesus turning up. You know, so for example, let me give you some different prophecies. So Isaiah 6, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 53. You've got Psalm 118, Psalm 110, Psalm 16, Psalm 22. They all point towards one who's going to come. And many of those verses actually point to one who's going to come and who's going to suffer. Who's going to be rejected. Who's going to have to actually carry the weight of sin upon himself. They also point towards one who actually is God himself. You know, many of those verses seem to point somebody towards somebody who's not even, even just kind of human. He's more than that. Actually, they're pointing towards the fact that God steps in and solves the situation himself. So, you know, we look back on it and we go, well, it's definitely, is, it's Jesus. These, these prophecies are fulfilled in him. But at the time, the Israelites didn't understand that. They weren't aware of that. So The second thing Jesus says is, he says this, the kingdom is at hand. And you'll see the theme of the kingdom of God coming up again and again in Mark. You see it clearly. As we go through, Mark, it is an important part of Jesus' teaching. His ministry is serving to inaugurate and start this kingdom. But what is the kingdom of God? So, I, you know, look, I talk about the kingdom of God a lot. We, we, one of our kind of, one of my mantras is that, you know, want people in the church to see themselves as carrying the kingdom of God to the world around them. But what does the kingdom even look like? Well, look, the kingdom is God's plan to fix what's been broken by human rejection of God. And this kingdom belongs to the one who steps into history to secure our freedom from sin. So it's a kingdom that belongs to the one who steps in to solve the problem. Jesus isn't just saying, therefore, that the kingdom of God is here. What he's actually proclaiming is the king is here. He's saying, look, here I am. The king, I'm here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is right here in front of you. Here I am. Everyone look at me. That's basically what he's saying. The kingdom demonstrates, you see, the heart and character of the king. So when we look at the kingdom of the United Kingdom and we think about uh, the changes over time since Queen Elizabeth's been in power, actually a lot of the changes that have been made in terms of the fact that we are uh, a tolerant and diverse society, that actually we celebrate justice, there are a lot of those characteristics are, are her characteristics. And I think she's done a remarkable job as our queen and our monarch. And actually when we look at God and we look at the kingdom of God, What we find is that the kingdom of God should represent the characteristics of the king who rules over it. So let me give you some characteristics of the king. Well, he's a king who loves justice and who loves mercy. He's a king who loves freedom and loves grace. He's a king who loves honour and generosity and equality. And in God's kingdom, there's no more sickness, no more death. There's joy and there's peace and there is love. In the kingdom of God, all of these things, Jesus says, exist all of these are characteristics of the king and his kingdom. When Jesus came, what he was doing, he was, he was proclaiming that this kingdom was starting, that this kingdom was at hand. That means it's, it's here. You can touch it. You can feel it. The kingdom is at hand. But we also need to understand, actually, we live in a certain time period. We live in the kingdom that is now and not yet. You see, the kingdom of God is here on one hand, but actually it hasn't arrived in its full sense yet. So the gospel story tells the story of Jesus coming as the suffering servant. He lives a perfect life. He dies a perfect death. I'm kind of ruining Mark for you because I'm telling you all about it. He, he is raised to life again. And then we read in uh, the end of Luke, beginning of Acts, Jesus ascends to heaven. And then we read in Hebrews that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us. Then if you go forward in your New Testament, you'll find in Thessalonians and also in Revelation that the king comes back again. Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, he is going to judge the living and the dead. Jesus' return is going to be very different from his initial arrival. You see, Jesus arrived in Galilee, the suffering servant, proclaiming that he, the kingdom was at hand, proclaiming that he was the king, and people didn't believe him. When he returns for the second time, every eye will see the coming of the Lord. When he returns, it's going to be a terrible sight for those who don't believe in him. But it will be the most wonderful sight for those that do, because the king is going to come in all his pomp and glory and majesty. And when he comes, he will inaugurate for good his kingdom on earth. He will consummate the kingdom. The kingdom will come at that point in its fullest sense. And at that time, there will be no injustice. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sickness. But until that point, we live in the kingdom of the now and not yet. So what does that mean? Well, that means, look, on one hand, we experience God's justice in a way that we wouldn't have experienced it until Jesus came. We also experience love in a way that we could never experience it otherwise. We experience joy and mercy in ways that we never would have experienced without the coming of Jesus. And when we pray for people and when we step out and we pray for people to be healed, sometimes they will be healed, but in other times they won't be because the kingdom is now and not yet. It's not here in its fullest sense at the moment there is still death and death causes sorrow but one day there will be no more death so we live with the anticipation of jesus's uh, second coming of his second arrival we live with the anticipation just actually almost like those jews did at the time of the king coming jesus is coming again and we live in the we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom but right now we have a, an opportunity an opportunity to Build our lives around the pattern of the kingdom. An opportunity to let God's rule and reign be the pattern for our life, be the guideline for our life. You know, we can be guided by kingdom values and kingdom principles. What's the third thing that Jesus says? Well, Jesus says this, repent and believe in the gospel. You know, as I've been reflecting on this and, uh, and just looking at these verses and what to speak on this week, I looked at John the Baptist and... I realised that, and I haven't really mentioned John the Baptist who comes in this chapter earlier on, I haven't really kind of uh, realised it before, how similar the ministry of Jesus and John the Baptist is. But Jesus' ministry is clearly greater than John's, as John says himself. You know, John turns up and he calls the people to repentance, and in their act of repentance, what he does symbolically washes their sin away by baptising them. Jesus comes greater than John the Baptist, John says, whose sandals I'm worthy unworthy to un- untie. He's, Jesus is a greater, uh, the greater one than, than, than John the Baptist. Jesus turns up and he not only calls people to repentance, but he has the ability and the power to forgive sin. He doesn't just symbolically wash it away. He actually removes it because he has the power to do it. Jesus' ministry is greater than John's, but actually their ministries end in a very similar ways. John is put to death at the hands of the authorities who are frightened by his influence. Jesus is exactly the same. He is put to death at the hands of the authorities who are scared about his influence. I've also never stopped really to consider this. Jesus stands up, he says these words, doesn't he? He says that in this time, this is the time of fulfilment, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. As he says those words... The very first words that we read in the book of Mark, as he says those words, he knows that he's going to be rejected. He knows that people are going to turn away from him. He knows that his ministry is going to look like a failure. You know, from any, any sense of kind of Western contemporary worldview, Jesus' ministry looks like an abject failure. He gets this big crowd to follow him. He does these big miracles. He feeds 5,000 people. Everybody, want a piece. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Even the Roman soldiers come, they see uh, people in their households healed. He, everybody wants a piece of Jesus, but yet as Jesus hangs and dies on the cross, everybody, pretty much everybody has rejected him. He's left with a handful of faithful followers, outcasts from society. who maybe have no place else to go but to cling on to and hold on to their faith in Jesus. His ministry from an outside perspective looks like a failure. You see, Jesus' ministry is marked by rejection. He is the rejected one. He's the rejected one, but he knows, even as he's ministering, that that is happening to him. You go forward to Mark 12, Jesus quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus knows that he is going to be rejected. So why does Jesus go through this? Why does Jesus go through this life of ministry, of uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God, of demonstrating it's at hand? He goes through this life of ministry suffering and being rejected, so that you and I can know the kingdom now. Jesus' rejection and suffering is so that you and I can know acceptance from our sin. We can know acceptance and we can know the good of the kingdom. Jesus walks through life so that we might know these things. So where does this leave us today? Well, look, actually, just like Jesus, if we proclaim the kingdom of God to people around us, if we choose to stand up for the kingdom and live in the good of the kingdom, we need to be prepared for something. We need to be prepared for the fact that rejection and suffering will come our way. You see, following the kingdom, following the kingdom and proclaiming the values of the kingdom to the culture around us and saying, no, that's, this is how God's kingdom looks like, will be costly to us. But you know, also the rewards are great. The rejection and suffering don't compare, you see, to the joy and benefits of knowing the king. You know, there's, there's that, there was a song that Matt Redman sung years ago, take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Actually, as we walk through this life, as we walk through this life and we live in the good of the kingdom, we may well know the world rejecting us as we do that. We may know actually a sense of rejection as we stand up and say, I want to be counted for. I belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As we do that, actually, we may find that there is a sense of um rejection that we hit but also we should know something else we should know the joy and the peace of belonging to the king you see as God's children we know a new identity I've spoken about that before as God's children we know a father who always delivers his promises as God's children we know approval you see you don't have to prove a thing to God you see, actually, for, for us as Christians, as we walk in the society around us, as we walk in a sense of championing the kingdom of God and speaking out on behalf of the kingdom and living kingdom values, and we face opposition, we may well face suffering and rejection from people around us, actually we can know the benefit and the good of living in that kingdom at the same time. Having, have, we have an opportunity, you see, to actually accept the message of the gospel every day as well. This is my final point. We have the opportunity every day to accept the message of the gospel. How do we do that? Well, look, you and I, every day, we have the opportunity to say, I'm going to live in the kingdom today. I'm going to live in the good of the kingdom. I'm going to live for justice. I'm going to live for mercy. I'm going to live in a way that is generous because I know the king has saved me, so therefore, I'm going to live out of, that, out of that goodness to the world around me. We have an opportunity every day to accept or reject the kingdom of God. You and I, every day. We have an opportunity to live in kingdom values, to speak justice, to demonstrate kingdom values to the world around us. You know, we can actually say things like this, that's not how God's kingdom works. You know Emerald's uh, video, her interview about talking about things at her school, she's demonstrating something of the kingdom of God. You see, she's demonstrating, look, that's not how the kingdom of God works. In the kingdom of God, there is Diversity in the kingdom of God, there's one new man. The, 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 the old and the new have, have come together. There is one new man in Christ. There is no division in Jesus. She's demonstrating something of the kingdom. We see we have an opportunity to stand up in our society and say, Look, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And yes, we may well face opposition as we do that, we may well face rejection as we do that, but we will also know the joy of being belonging to the King of Kings. We also have an opportunity as well. We see It's not just enough to live in the values of the kingdom. We need to speak out the gospel to other people. You see, Jesus demonstrated through his life and ministry kingdom values. He demonstrated generosity. He demonstrated forgiveness. He demonstrated mercy. But he also spoke out the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel to other people. When he sent out his disciples to go out and uh, demonstrate that the kingdom was at hand, he called them to demonstrate and, and say the kingdom of God is at hand. They were proclaiming the gospel. We need to be people who aren't frightened to stand up and speak the gospel out. We need to be people who are, aren't frightened to share what we believe with other people. We need to be people who are, aren't frightened to put our head above the parapet and say, look, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. He is the saviour of the world. You need, We need to be those people who are prepared to stand up for what we believe in. So as we go through Mark, my hope is that we grow in our understanding of what the gospel is. That we grow in our understanding of living out kingdom values. As we walk through this season and we come face to face with Jesus, that actually what we see is a, a growing understanding of how we can live out the kingdom to the world around us. How can we demonstrate mercy and justice? How can we demonstrate the kingdom to people? How can we pray for healing and signs and wonders? And lastly, we grow in our confidence of speaking out the gospel, of proclaiming the gospel to those around us. I just really feel like at the end of this talk, there's a bit of an opportunity here. Actually, you know, for me, I want to give all I am. I want to give all I am for the king and his kingdom. In my life, in my heart, everything that I want is just to give everything I have for the king and his kingdom. Whether that's my money, whether that's my time, every heart attitude, I want to give it over to him that he might have rule and reign in my life. That the king's kingdom might be filled into my life. That everything about my life might be about the kingdom of God. That it might be about Jesus. There's an opportunity for us this morning to just give ourselves over again to the king and his kingdom. Maybe you've rejected the king and his kingdom this week. You see, even as Christians, we can believe in Jesus. We can believe that he is our saviour. But at the same time, we can actually walk in a way that's different. We can kind of go, uh, look, every day that I live, I'm just going to kind of live in a different way. I'm just going to kind of reject that today and just do what I want to do. I think today, right now, there's an opportunity for each one of us just to say, look, Jesus, again, I'm going to give all I am for your king, for your kingship and your kingdom. I want to give everything I am again to you. Lord, you can take it all for me, from me. You know, following Jesus is costly. If you choose to follow Jesus, there is a cost attached to it. If you choose to follow Jesus for the first time, maybe it's even today, there will be a cost attached to it. It might mean, well, it will mean laying down sinful habits in your life. But it may also mean that actually people who you called friends won't want to be your friends anymore. It may also mean that actually you need to give things away. It may also mean that you need to be more generous of heart in ways you've never been before. Actually, following the king is costly. But the fruit and the benefit of it far outweigh the costs. So in this moment right now, I'm just going to pray a prayer and I'm just going to invite you to pray along with me. If you just want to say, Jesus, I want to make you king of my heart again today. The king and his kingdom, I want my life to be about that. I want my life to be about your gospel. Let's just pray that prayer now. Jesus, I thank you that you came to declare the kingdom was at hand. Jesus, I thank you that you came to declare repentance and you came to declare the gospel. Lord Jesus, right now, I give my heart and my life over again to you that your gospel might take fruit and seed in my life, Lord, that it might might bear fruit in other people's lives through me. Lord Jesus, I give my heart over again today to your kingship. Lord, come and have your way in me. Lord, that I would be for you and nothing else. Lord, that my heart and my life and everything about me would be for your kingship and your kingdom. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would have your way in me. Lord, I'm 100% for you. Lord God, that you might uh, take me And propel me into a future, Lord, where your kingdom is all that I'm about. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one in our church today. Lord, we pray over this season as we approach the gospel of Mark. Lord Jesus, I pray that out of this, we would bear much fruit for you as a community. Lord, we would bear fruit of of seeing people saved and added. But we'd also bear fruit of demonstrating the kingdom. Demonstrating kingdom values and the kingdom rule of reign and God to the society around us. Amen.